for an e-commerce or you know D2C business, there are, there are, there are two aspects of going global. There's, there's the ops and logistics element uh, of how you can manufacture and ship your physical goods globally. Uh, and in, in you know in this regard, we were very fortunate to have a uh, uh, nearly a hundred percent print-on-demand, zero inventory model, which made it made it very easy for us to, to scale globally. Um, I think that when it comes to marketing, it's you know it's still an ongoing process of of, of trial and error and optimization. Um, it's a it's a constant game of you know volume versus efficiency, automation versus handwork, uh, and 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 the costs you know the overheads of of running the the team. Project A podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Project A podcast. Uh, my name is Florian Heinemann, uh, one of the founding partners at Project A. And today we welcome uh, Asi Sharabi, which is one of the, uh, which is the CEO and, and co-founder of one of our portfolio companies, Wonderly, based in, in London. Uh, I will let Asi introduce himself in a minute, um, but uh, I think uh, just a brief introduction from my end. Um, uh, Wonderbly uh, started off as Lost My Name. It's uh, probably one of the uh, most interesting company at the intersection of creativity and technology. And uh, we were always fasc fascinated by, by the concept back then in 2015 when we, when we did, in, in, did the investment and continue to do so until today. But uh, Asi, uh, welcome to our podcast. And it would be great if you could give us a brief introduction uh, to who you are and uh, then we'll, uh, you know, basically uh, go over to talk a little bit about Wonderbly. Thank you, Florian. Uh, thanks for having me. So I'm actually uh, born and raised in, in Israel uh, the first 26 years, then arrived to London uh, exactly 20 years ago, uh, originally to do my master's here, um, which then accidentally evolved to another five years of full-blown full, uh, PhD. And then uh, a series of more happy accidents and, uh, and, and a dollop of... What did you do your PhD in, Nasi? Like which uh, field? Social psychology. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and, and, and a few more happy accidents and, and a dollop of good karma led me to where I've been in the past seven years, which is the CEO of Wonderbit. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you founded uh, Wonderbly in, in London. Uh, like, well, how did you guys... Um, basically come together? What kind of group was it? I mean, that's often very interesting to the audience, uh, uh, basically, who's, who's composed of entrepreneurs or, or other people who are interested in becoming an entrepreneur. Like, how did you guys basically form form a team? How did you get together as a group and, and to take the decision to, to found the company? Um, so the, the, the Genesis story um, is, is one of a... Um a, a creative side project that, that's gone horribly well, as I like to say. Um, it, it originally wasn't meant to be what it is today. Uh, we just, you know, a bunch of friends uh, uh, just spotted an opportunity. Um, you know, it goes back to uh, probably eight, eight years ago now uh, when I received a gift from my daughter uh, and it was a personalized uh, book with her name in it. I, I was completely unaware of, of the category of personalized books, never seen one before, uh, and were completely underwhelmed by uh, anything and everything that I've seen in, in this book. You know, other than having that warm and fuzzy feeling of seeing my daughter's name in a book, I was very... Uh, disappointed from from uh, from what I've seen, um, and um, but 
you know, I, I, I called a few friends. We, we looked at that, at that, that product. Uh, we sat around my kitchen table and, and we, we agreed kind of unanimously that we can do something better than that. Um, and that, that's how it all started as a uh, bootstrap, self-funded, self-published side project that we started, you know, between our full-time jobs and uh, back then, like, very young families. Uh, and then it took off in ways that uh, we... Maybe in, in the beginning, we never really dared to imagine. But, you know, once we saw what we have, we, we realized that uh, this can be something quite big and global. Um, so we, we, we dropped our day jobs and um, started to run this uh, company full time. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2012, right? Uh, in two, yeah. 2013? Two, 2013, yeah. We, 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 we started in 2012, uh, probably did some kind of a, I guess, public alpha uh, with, with the original Lost My Name pro- uh, product. And then uh, at the back of the success of that, uh, at the end of 2013, we, we, we uh, formally launched in you know, a, a public beta of sorts. Can you describe a little bit what was like uh, the original concept of, of personalization that was prevalent back then and, and what did you guys basically do different? I mean, what's, what's the unique thing about Wonderbleeze or back then still called Lost My Name, which was actually the first concept uh, that, that you guys published? What, what, what was so unique about it and wh- where, where did you bring like personalization to, to the next level in, in, in what aspects? So interestingly, you know, personalized books have been in the market for nearly 50 years now. Uh, we, we definitely did not invent the, the category. Um, but what we learned is that they, they, they never really took off as, as, as a category, uh, not uh, uh, creatively and, and, and definitely not commercially. Uh, and for many, many years, you know, they, they, they just kind of, you know, they, that, that category um, Kind of, you know, lived in, in the on the fringes of the publishing industry, and and you know, some might say rightly snubbed by the publishing establishment for being just like some tacky novelty, you know, gift item with very little value in in the book, other than just you know slapping a child's name across few few pages. Um, and um, you know, I, I'd like to believe that you know we 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 changed that. You know, we saw we we saw the opportunity, and 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 you know, first we. Uh, approached it, you know, purely from a from a creative point of view, um, and you know, we set ourselves a brief to create a personalized book that doesn't suck. You know, that that was the original brief because we couldn't find any. Um, and uh, and 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 but then at the very very early stages, I think we we realized that uh, by uh, setting up. A, a personalized product, you know, that was even before thinking about a company, uh, you actually need a, a quite complex, uh, at least, you know, back then, it was, you know, quite complex operation of, you know, it, it has to be a direct-to-customer business because you cannot just buy these books in shops, uh, which means that there has to be some, you know, a, a, a very good digital component and a digital experience uh, of, of creating the book, of personalizing the book. Uh, and of course, that has to be an e-commerce solution because we, you know, we wanted to make a business out of it. Um, and by having a direct-to-customer e-commerce business, it means that you also need to look after your your marketing and your customer acquisition and your and and, and to put yourself out there. And of course, there's the whole operational bit of moving from digital to physical because when you know when when a customer buys a book from us at the end of the day, within you know 24 hours or 24 days, there is a beautiful physical book being sent to, to their home. So very, very early on in the process, while still completely in a kind of, you know, bootstrap side project mode, 
um, we we realized that there's a lot of uh, uh, operational, technological, and, and and business challenges. And and, and I think that, you know that that was the hook for 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 the four of us um, because you know we all came from different backgrounds. Uh, and you know, I think that's one of the things that uh, was was of advantage for us that we we were a, a very interdisciplinary founding team uh, in a very organic way. Um, and and from there, you know, it was very easy for us to continue to scale the company based on that structure. Mm-hmm. Can can you describe a little bit like the what what, what the background was of you guys? I mean, you had like you obviously um, psychology background, but also business background but you also had like creative people on board uh, so so what was kind of the the composition of, of the early team yeah so I, I i was bringing kind of the uh more marketing i guess uh marketing communications and, and a bit kind of you know the business side um tal was the operations and technology guy from from day one uh and then David and Pedro, our creative uh, co-founders, uh, have been in charge of uh, storytelling and, and art direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you're also quite different, uh, if I may say that, from a personality type of uh, standpoint. Is there uh, <laughs> is there any advice that you can give to founders out there? I mean, I mean, it's a no-brainer for for people to say. Um, you need complementary skill sets. I mean, that's that's quite obvious. But you guys also are very complementary personality profiles. I would say, is it something, or at least very different uh, personalities? Is it something that you would recommend as a as a founding team that you have, you know, also very uh, because there's obviously other people that basically say it's much easier if you have a very homogeneous set of of people with homogeneous backgrounds that makes things easier, decision making easier. I mean, there's a lot of discussion uh, on diversity. You know, I mean, obviously, uh, you can also be diverse by gender, but you can also be diverse by, by personality type. Is that something that you would uh, uh, consider a strength uh, or that you would consider a weakness? Or what's your hindsight perspective on that? I think that in hindsight, I, I would definitely say that it's it's a strength. And, and and you know, not necessarily just in terms of the founding team, in, you know, it, it's it's the it's the overall fabric of the, of the company. Um, I would say that... Uh, you know, running a very homogenous team is is probably easier. Uh, you know, definitely definitely short term. Um, but you 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 know you 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 probably it's, it's very di- I guess difficult to quantify it. But I think that you, you you gain less from having a lot of people which are which are the same. Uh, whereas if you have a you know a diverse founding team and a diverse company. Um, both in terms of you know skill sets and 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 also personalities, I think that it makes things a little bit more difficult at times. Um, but I think that the the overall outcome is 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 just is more beneficial. It's 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 more positive. There's you know different perspectives, um, different you know ways of of approaching a problem, um, and 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 in a way, I think an easier. Uh, to some degree, uh, kind of division of labor because you kind of organically you play to each other's strength. Um, so it was, you know, even if, if in the early days when we were literally just looking at, at creating that product, um, you know, our our skill sets and personalities and strengths kind of you know put us in in in, in the right place and, uh, and 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 help us 
you know, I guess move move faster and and to have a more organic kind of you know division of labor. <laughs> Can you um, d describe a little bit? I mean, you basically said prior books sucked, um, but I think what I want to get to, or per personalized books sucked. What I want to get to is a little bit. Um, also the aspect how, how you guys basically uh, use technology to bring personalization to, to a different to a different level. Can you describe a little bit um, like on what layers or what levels is personalization happening apart from just the pure text uh, within in, within Wonderbly? And then probably as a second part, uh, could you could you describe a little bit you know how you, the, your creative teams? Because obviously it's a highly creative exercise. Anybody who's looked at, at your books will see that initially. How do you make sure that creative people and and tech people work together? How does it how does it work in practice? How's, how's the process flows there? But probably first, let's start with personalization. I mean, on what levels does does it happen, and and how how do you build the stories, um, and and kind of the the personalization engine within within the stories? How does that work? So. What I find interesting is, is you know, six years in and, and 30 books down the line, uh, you know, since the original Lost My Name book, um, we're still very actively and consciously exploring the relationship between uh, between storytelling, design, and, and, and technology uh, in, in the context of personalization. And, 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 and that relationship or that balance uh, have gone through, uh, you know, different phases of, of evolution. Uh, I would say that in the early years, uh, we were, uh, you know, we perceived ourselves very much as a as a storytelling and technology company, uh, and you know we would like to think that our, our kind of first value proposition or, or the way that we talked about the company was uh, combining the power of storytelling with the possibilities of technology to create you know magic ma magical personalized experience for children. I'm sure that this is the line that we pitched to you guys, you know, back in 2015 when we when we raised our Series A. Um, and and we always kind of looked very a, a, a attentively into the balance of uh, of storytelling and and, and uh, tech, especially in the context of personalization, and how tech can enable a a a, a better, a different, uh, a more relevant storytelling, rather than um, you know doing tech for the sake of tech. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that we, we, not, we didn't always get that uh, balance perfectly right. Um, and because tech has been very much part of our DNA from day one, uh, you know, that, that, that balance keeps, keeps changing, really. Um, but, you know, we definitely move beyond. If you look at uh, each and every one of our books, you know, yes, there's, there's a few books, and some of them are actually very successful, that are fairly simple um, you know, it's the child's name, it's the child's uh, uh, external appearance, and, and, and that's pretty much it. Um, but there are many other books that are being personalized through other uh, personalization logic and, 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 and mechanic, uh, whether it is around your date of birth or whether uh, it is around the child's uh, um, hobbies and interests. Um, or, you know, more recently, uh, one of our, the books that we published, I think, Sometimes last year, uh, That's My Cake, which is our first siblings uh, book, which is a book that you can actually uh, personalize to up to four children, uh, which can be you know, brothers and sisters or, or cousins or, or friends. Um, and the, the narrative of the story can actually change, not just obviously by the child's name, but uh, by the input of the uh, date of birth of each one of the children. 
uh, which is which is you know it's 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 simple when you see it, but it's it's actually complex to to you know it was very complex to create. Yeah, and, and I mean, if if I if I remember correctly, if if I if I'm informed correctly, you you're ending up with thousands of possible combinations of how a story can possibly evolve. Um, and I guess the only way to 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 do that in a in a consistent and and also efficient way is is by by basically using a personalization engine that that allows this and that can only be based on on technology. Yeah. So um, just going one step back, I mean, when you, you started as a side project, as, as you said, where was the moment? I mean, did you know about venture capital? Where was Because that's also a question that a lot of entrepreneurs ask themselves. Like, when do you know it's the right time to, to, to approach an investor? And when, when do you know that your company is actually the right uh, kind of uh, setting or the right kind of configuration uh, that it's actually attractive for VCs. I mean, did you know about VC before? Was it something that you envisaged all, all along or was it something that you basically recognized, oh, we are onto something here with the lost money concept, which just just also to give uh, the, the audience a perspective, I mean, you were like pretty quickly, you were, I think, the largest or the most sold um, personalized children's book in the UK and US, I think, like in 15 or so. I mean, that, so, so you, you, you were hugely successful um, uh, pretty quickly after the start. But, but when was the moment when you thought, okay, let's let's talk to VCs or let's talk to business agents? Um, I guess, I mean, to, 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 to the first question, I, I was probably aware, but only in, in, in the abstract, uh, you know, venture, venture capital. Um, but, you know, given that both myself and Tal, uh, you know, grew up in, in Tel Aviv, like you, you, you have at least two friends uh, who are in some stage of, of a startup um, and, um, you know, and a few, uh, you know, second degree friends that have exited or so, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty much part of, of our culture. Um, and, and you know, in a hindsight, you kind of see that, it it was, like, Tal and I are kind of you know thinking about it as uh, it was it was something that was meant to happen. It it just happened to be through that, uh, uh, you know, vehicle of, of 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 the lost money in book and the product and and how it evolved. Um, but 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 the original uh, plan was to start just as a bootstrap, just to it it was almost like a bit of a a, a baby startup for us. It was. It wasn't just a pure creative or publishing side project. It was very much a, a startup side project. Um, and we knew that because of the unique uh, nature of this project, you know, it's 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 a it's a children book. Um, I'm I'm probably not going to be able to go, uh, you know, and convince a VC, uh, uh, and you know, to, to give me some capital purely on on an idea base. Uh, and we didn't really need the capital initially. You know, it, it was a fairly low investment. Uh, to 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 um, you know get get the first uh, um, uh, version of the product in, into the market, uh, but when we you know when we when we bootstrapped to about million dollar in revenue in, in in the first three months, it was you know very quickly we realized okay this is you know this this can be big, um, and uh, and and it was a very natural quick decision for us to just say right let's just drop everything and go all in mm -hmm. and and you started off with one book concept lost my name i mean you said you generated one million 
revenue of three months so really quickly uh, and and uh, I, I think if, if I remember correctly it was also driven because you were one of, of a few companies back then who really used Facebook in an, in an efficient way uh, to, to drive to drive reach but but obviously you then recognized um, that uh, you need to introduce more books so I mean you, you already said it there's 30 different book concepts uh, or IPS. Uh, today, um, uh, basically, how did you decide um, kind of whether you – because one interesting question is here. I mean, all of the books, or most of them, are, all of them are developed by, your, by yourself, and uh, some of the books use contents or, or use uh, protagonists, basically, uh, or storyline from that's provided by others, but, but all of it um, is, is still in, uh, developed in-house. And that's obviously also a big question in like gaming companies and other creative uh, companies, whether they should, they should only work with their own content or, or work with third-party content. Content. What was your thinking behind it? Um, you decide. Why did you decide to to like first work with your own uh, content, or at least develop it yourself? And it, would it be realistic to also work with other people's content? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that um, because of the of the creative development process, which is very unique to personalization, uh, to working in, in 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 personalized books, it's you know unlike the traditional sense where there is a you know an author illustrator walking in the uh, study, creating a book, and, and that's pretty much it. Um, for, for us, you know, every book starts sometimes with a spreadsheet of, you know, as you just described, of uh, uh, hundreds, in sometimes hundreds of thousands of, of possibilities. Um, so, you know, a team at WonderBee that creates a personalized book comprised of, you know, not just writer and illustrator, but a producer and a uh, creative coder uh, and, and, and book designer. Um, so it's a, it's a very collaborative team, uh, which I think landed itself, again, very organically to an in-house creative uh, team model. Um, and, and, and that's how we... Uh, we we have evolved in in the past six years until you know uh, very recently when we, we are in the process of opening up our platform. We're going to talk about it hopefully soon. Um, but maybe just to go back to your to your original question, I think that's the you know it it, it was after uh, I don't know about half a million of units that sold uh, of the of the original lost my name book. You know it, it was very obvious that. We, we need to continue, and and uh, you know when we thought that there's um, there's a market, we realized that there is a market for high quality, uh, you know, uh, uh, across all aspects of, of of the of the creative and the production of personalized books, um, because that offering was was not there, uh, you know, bef before us, um, and. Um, you know, since then, as, as, as you know all too well, uh, we worked incredibly hard to shift the business from, you know, being reliant on, on one single book um, to be a proper portfolio company now with, uh, you know, over over 30 books in the in the platform uh, where Lost My Name, the original book, is, is you know, it's still the, the gift that keeps on giving, uh, but it generates, you know, just about 25% of, of our sales now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that obviously. I mean, that 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 also shows 
that's probably also a recommendation to founders that are there, you know, the gaming space or whatever, um, your company uh, definitely, you know, increases in value um, a lot if they can show some kind of stability or, or balance in, in the portfolio. Um, and I think that's often a key challenge in, in any creative-based startup that, that you are able to, to consistently deliver um, on creativity. Um, and I think that's what you guys uh, have been working on very hard. And uh, I think the, the result, and that is something also from an investor perspective, I think if, if you rely, if one product or one product line delivers 25% um, and the rest is is, is delivered by, by other products, I think you can definitely speak of a balanced portfolio. And I think that's that's also from a value creation perspective um, for a good recommendation for, for entrepreneurs. Um, I mean, the, the, a very interesting other aspect, I think, also for, for the audience in, in, in Wonderbly is um, you're essentially active globally. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, you can tell us in a minute whether there's any country you don't deliver to, but essentially you're basically present or, or available all over the globe. But you, you're... You only have one office in, in London. Um, this kind of setup, inter, international setup, um, is that something that you that you would recommend to other founders as well? So having just one location. I mean, how do you organize the marketing team, for example? Do you have native speakers for every region, um, or, or do you work with English speakers all over the place? Do we advertise in the uh, different languages, or do you try to to look? Do you try to localize or do you do you basically have a one, one size fits all approach? I mean, that would be great if you could discuss a little bit what your thinking is is here, uh, because obviously it has worked really well. And, and I think others can can learn from that quite a big deal. Yeah, sure. So, you know, from from for an e-commerce or, you know, D2C business, there are, there are, there are two aspects of going global. There's, there's the ops and logistics element. Uh, how you can manufacture and ship your physical goods globally, uh, and in, in you know in this regard, we were very fortunate to have a uh, uh, nearly a hundred percent print-on-demand, zero inventory model, which made it made it very easy for us to, to scale globally. Um, I think that when it comes to marketing, it's you know it's still an ongoing process of of, of trial and error and optimization. Um, it's a it's a constant game of you know, volume versus efficiency, automation versus handwork, uh, and 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 the costs. You know, the overheads of of running the the team. Um, I I can't say that we fully cracked it yet. Um, we generally like to do everything we have. Uh, all of our marketing is is internalized, uh, both the creative and the uh, and and the analysis. Um, I think you know the only part where we outsource is probably the translations. We you know we work with the network of copywriters, translators, editors to localize our uh, both books and and marketing assets. Um, I think that very interestingly in our context, you know, children publishing, especially the the for for preschoolers, um, is is overwhelmingly local, uh, with all kinds of you know cultural sensibilities at, at play, um, and I. I I do hope that we will reach soon a, a scale where we'll have a, a, a better business case to start operating uh, with with some form of country managers or, or kind of you know market managers of, of others. Because I think that I have no doubt that, that in our category you can definitely benefit from an increased level of localized marketing. Um, it's just the size of the team. It's overheads. It's you know thinking about very very carefully um, that uh, we're we're not there yet. I mean we we are 
almost there. Um, but generally speaking, you can you can do most of it in-house from a single location. Mm-hmm. So try, try to summarize it a little bit. So your, your recommendation is like doing a lot of it in-house, uh, having people sit in, in one place and communicate. I mean, right now it's, it's uh, obviously a different time, but normally sitting together in, in one office, uh, trying to communicate quite a lot and then uh, kind of become more granular in your approach the more you grow and, and kind of the, the, the way you're able to justify it just by the sheer volume um, of what comes in as, as business. Uh, but so, so that you can basically internationalize kind of in, in, in phases. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that uh, makes, makes a lot of sense. You can, um, you can see markets where um, it's very easy for us uh, you know whether because it's an it's an English speaking market or because you know we, we're even seeing uh, uh, clear differences between you know Australia, Canada, UK, and USA. Uh, but there's you know even more so differences between uh, you know our other four or five you know bigger markets like uh, like Dach or or Italy, Spain, uh, France, and um, I, I, I think that you know there's especially when it comes to performance marketing. Uh, you can probably get away with uh, you know ju- just a, a, a good translation or kind of adaptation of your of your marketing assets. Uh, but if you want to go a bit deeper, if you want to go a bit more into you know content and PR and community building and engagement, uh, that, that that's a whole different game. Hmm. Okay, but that is I mean if you look at it in phases, that that's probably then the, the final phase where you where you kind of reach the scale to also benefit. You know, you can go probably to 80% or whatever, 70% market penetration with a one-size-kind-of-fits-all approach with translation. And if you want to get to the net, to the last 30 or, or last 20, then you probably also have to have to get more local and, and have more yeah, local resources. Local yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, one aspect that's that's also very interesting in your internationalization strategy. I mean, a, a lot of the startups that we work with and, and talk to, they are very much focused on the Western world. Yeah. So the U.S. I mean, you also make a big business. You have uh, like large large volumes in the U.S., but you also you know have quite um, quite an interesting profile. I think in in, in Asia. Yeah. So would you would you say that this um, you know like South Korea for example you you doing like the first steps in China um, is 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 that something that you know you would recommend to other startups as well probably you know take not only take a look at the US or not only take a look at other Western countries but also try to to understand the the market potential in Asia do you have the feeling that that is something that's not used uh, up to the potential uh, so far by, by most uh, Western or European or US-based startups? I would, I would definitely say so. Um, again, if your, if your uh, operations and logistics make it uh, possible, um, it's, it's definitely something uh, that, that's worth trying. Um, I will differentiate uh, China from, from, from the rest uh, because it's a completely different ballgame. Um, and, and in our case, uh, the, the, the guiding principle was if they use Facebook and Google, we should be in this market. Um, and then it's just about you know localizing the assets because because it's uh, it's it's a very simple for us to you know add another campaign uh, and to automate another campaign in a, in a in a different language whether for for, for Google keywords or for uh, any kind of you know paid social. Um, so in in the past you know we've seen a lot of success in in Japan in Singapore. 
um, a little bit in a little bit in, in South Korea. Um, China is still a market that I'm very very uh, interested in cracking. Uh, but but for that, you, you you need to find the right local partnership. Yeah, because China without a local partner, that that's also your perspective and, and basically your experience. Uh, you, you, without a partnership, there it's po basically impossible to crack, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, probably just to, you know trying to finish trying to finish this off with like two two three other aspects. Um, you you recently moved. Also, you know, you started to move into to adult books or concepts for other target groups as well. Um, and, and do you um, like, do you feel that you know personalization is as an appealing concept also in the in the adult world? And, and kind of will, will we see more uh, along along that lines on and for for that target group in the in the, in the future? I, I I genuinely believe so. I think that's um, the the the. the You know, personalized gifting is already about a $40 billion industry, uh, especially in the web. Um, but it is, you know, the the kind of, you know the obvious personalization or the uh, the simple personalization, which you know tends to be just some kind of a physical good where you print someone's name or initials on 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 that product. Um, I. I, I, I do genuinely believe that there's a there's a meaningful personalized proposition, uh, very likely in the form of a book, that that will be developed and can be developed for you know every, every age, every occasion, every every relationship, uh, and in many contexts of uh, you know people's interests and and, and passions, um, and I'm 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 very excited to uh take now wonderfully beyond beyond children and to explore you know what 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 role can meaningful personalization play uh in 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 storytelling in in design in gifting and how personalization can can add value uh across many different publishing categories uh way beyond you know the the the, the obvious children one <laughs> Makes sense. Um, just probably one one last thing. I mean, we are, we are still in the middle of a of a you know global health crisis, and and uh, other companies have you know in the entertainment space have, have benefited from from this. Um, and uh, how, how about the book category? Have people started to read more or do more gifting uh, during Corona times, or is it is it something that has not affected you or negatively affected you? So we we were incredibly fortunate uh, to be able to not just to continue to operate the company remotely. I mean that was that was fairly uh, straightforward for us, uh, but because of our uh, print on demand uh, uh, operational model, um, we, and 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 the fact that our uh, global POD network uh, kept going, as well as you know postal services and, and courier services. Uh, we 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 could we, we basically continue to run the company uh, normally and 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 you know the combination of lockdown uh, more people spending time on people spending more time online uh, less uh, less choice in terms of you know no high street uh, it's, it, it was pretty much you know, Amazon and and few other uh, D 2 C uh, gifting and, and publishing companies like us that kind of stay alive so we we, we enjoyed. 
a very healthy surge in, in demand, uh, and, and we had a very good April and May. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't complain, really. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank, thank, thanks a lot for, for these insights, and I think there's been quite a lot in this podcast that, that others can learn and, and uh, like get, get some inspiration from. And what I find, like also in hindsight, uh, always, you know, quite a, quite an intriguing thing that, that you did something really counterintuitive because I mean, there has been always this talk of books are dead and, uh, <laughs> and or books are dying, not dead. Um, and uh, I mean, even normal books are not, uh, not really dying uh, as, as, as you can see. I mean, there's some different formats like Kindle, et cetera, e-readers, but also classic books are still very much alive and kicking. But I think it's a very good example of also what entrepreneurs can do, but just adding technology or the the, 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 the the means and the possibilities that technology adds to a product category uh, that, that seems established and, and there's not so much innovation, at least not on the delivery side, but more on the probably on the content side. But you kind of did that. And I, I'm sure there's lots more um, um, entrepreneurial opportunities around seemingly, uh, you know, uh, uninteresting or, or, or less Uh, focused uh, kind of less in focus kind of categories um, uh, the way you guys approached it and, and really built a, a sizable business out of it yeah mm -hmm. we, we, we were uh, always you know kind of happy to be part of that family of you know the the, the um, d2c full stack you know vertically integrated you know choose your choose your term you know people like uh, whether it's Warby Parker or Casper or, or, or Bonobo And it's, you know, it's this family of startups that took a product or a category that historically been very retail-led and very fragmented. And by, you know, internalizing the whole supply chain and having full control over the whole customer journey, you know, with, with an injection of technology to either scale fast or to just improve the, the, the service, um, you know, created a, a scalable global businesses. Um, and, you know, we're, we're very proud to be part of that family. Mm -hmm. cool so thanks a lot for for the insight and um uh yeah i guess that's uh, that's a good point to to end this podcast um and uh, thanks a lot for sharing all those insights and uh yeah i guess we speak soon in a different context yeah yeah thanks so much for having me we hope you enjoyed our podcast if you did how about you subscribe on spotify and or itunes and give us a rating